Welcome to the Laser Therapy Institute weekly podcast, the world's first podcast about medical laser therapy for healthcare providers. Each week, we discuss the latest research, interviews with experts, and how laser therapy can enhance your practice. Now, here is the founder of LTI and your host, Dr. Jason Roundtree. Hey, thanks for coming back and joining me again this week on the Laser Therapy Institute podcast. My name is Dr. Jason Roundtree. I'm a chiropractor. I'm also a certified medical laser safety officer. And what I like to do is try to bring research to the front for clinicians to be able to access and utilize without having to sit and read through the studies yourself and try to interpret it. So over the next 15 minutes here, I'm going to be breaking down a really interesting study on laser therapy, specifically a laser nerve block. Is it possible? We're going to be looking at a 2016 study that was published in Lasers in Surgery and Medicine. The title of the study is Photobiomodulation of the Dorsal Root Ganglion for the Treatment of Low Back Pain, a pilot study. Now, photobiomodulation, of course, is just our newest term to encompass light therapies. That means low-level laser therapy, cold lasers, um, high-intensity laser therapy, LED light therapies as well. Those all fit into this term of photobiomodulation. And specifically, as the title says, we're going to be talking about using light on the dorsal root ganglion for lower back pain. And I'm going to go ahead and kind of spoil this one right here. I'm going to give you the conclusion right up front. All right, let's go ahead and read it. They say, laser irradiation caused an immediate decrease in low back pain post-procedure, similar to pain reduction caused by lidocaine injection. Both lidocaine injection and laser irradiation were more effective than radiofrequency treatment for immediate and longer-term chronic low back pain. Now that is pretty exciting stuff. They're comparing laser therapy, or as they call it in here, laser irradiation, which just means shining light, you know, using light, which is on the electromagnetic spectrum. Comparing that to lidocaine injection and radiofrequency treatment for immediate and longer term chronic low back pain. Now, it turns out this is not as simple as just pointing a laser at the patient's back and being great, right? There's actually a lot to this. I'm going to break all this down for you into something that is hopefully more digestible than trying to read through this study, which is an excellent study. Excellent study. Uh, Brazilian study, again, from 2016. There's a lot of really good info here, and I think it'll give you a better understanding of the potential behind light therapies. But first, let's go ahead and talk about the DRG, the dorsal root ganglia, right? Now, that is a cluster of pseudo-unipolar neurons located between the dorsal root and the spinal nerve. The DRG is responsible for modulating sensory afferent inputs and transmitting them to the central nervous system due to important roles in the neuromodulation of sensory processing of neuropathic or nociceptive pain and its anatomic accessible approach to clinical intervention. The DRG is an outstanding target for pain control. Essentially, it's the switch box, right? And it is easy to get to, so it is often targeted to try to control neuropathic or nociceptive inputs into that nervous system. So most of us as clinicians, if you're dealing with any patients with low back pain, really any pain patients at all, you've heard about nerve blocks and nerve ablations. Let's look at that closely here because both of those have something to do with the DRG. A nerve block is done in a manner that is designed to inhibit the ability of the DRG to transmit those nociceptive and neuropathic inputs into the central nervous system, okay? So, but just inhibition, 
We're not talking about destroying it. We're talking about inhibiting its ability to transmit. Whereas on a nerve ablation process, radiofrequency is used in a manner, it's actually termed a neurotomy, where you remove or destroy that whole nerve in order to prevent it from transmitting ever again. It's different than a nerve block. A nerve block is typically a temporary process, whereas a neurotomy, an RF neurotomy, is supposed to be much longer lasting and hopefully permanent relief of pain. And I think it's important to note here that both of these ideas are really just covering up the symptoms. They're not really addressing why these nociceptive inputs are coming into the central nervous system, but for some patients, uh, if we just don't know why they're still in pain, a nerve block is at least a good way to test, you know, if you're on the right track with this nerve. And a neurotomy is kind of, uh, I don't know, in my opinion, almost like a last-ditch effort to stop the transmission of pain if you just can't figure out what the cause of it is. But let's keep in mind that pain is usually there for a reason. It's there to create a signal that something is not right in the body. And if you just destroy the signaling mechanism, you really didn't fix the problem. Still, this is done a lot, and you probably have a lot of patients in your practice, if you've, if you've been practicing with low back pain, especially for any amount of time, that have had a nerve ablation or a nerve block procedure done. Now, this study goes on to say that non-pharmaceutical methods to target the DRG include injection of anesthetics, pulsed radiofrequency, and laser irradiation or photobiomodulation. Now, the local anesthetic side, which includes lidocaine, that's commonly used for regional blockage. Although some studies have shown good results, pain relief normally lasts only a few hours, and uh, some patients even developed cardiologic or neurologic side effects having a lidocaine injection uh, into that nervous system area. Pulsed radiofrequency of the DRG is a treatment procedure during which a heat lesion is placed near to the ganglion to produce a neuromodulation, but the temperature does not increase over 45 degrees Celsius and doesn't cause protein denaturation and doesn't destroy the ganglion, right? We are simply creating that inhibitory response. We're still really talking about nerve blocks here. And as far as the photobiomodulation side goes, that analgesic effect has been reported to involve alpha and C fibers. So essentially what they want to do is compare laser therapy versus RF nerve block versus lidocaine nerve block. And there was no sham group, so this is not a sham controlled trial, but patients were randomly divided into those three treatment groups. There was uh, 28 patients involved with this study. It's a small study, but it's a pilot study. Uh, and these, these types of pilot studies are important to start setting up larger trials in the future. So they even say that the aim of this research was to determine the efficacy of laser radiation on lumbar DRG for the treatment of chronic low back pain and to compare laser irradiation to two established treatments for lumbar pain relief, lidocaine injection and pulse radiofrequency, because we've, we've done both of those. That's, both of those procedures have been in medicine for a long time. So how about, you know, how do they do versus each other and how do they do versus laser therapy? Okay, so let's go ahead and walk through each of these three groups. With the lidocaine nerve block group, they put a 20-gauge spinal needle into the second lumbar intervertebral foramen, or IVF, using fluoroscopy. They put one mil of lidocaine into each side. And then on the RF procedure with the radiofrequency, they did the exact same thing uh, in the beginning. They, they went to each side of the spine. You know, so this is done bilaterally in that second IVF. 
and used the radio frequency unit for 300 seconds and got the temperature to 42 degrees Celsius and they kept it at 42 degrees Celsius the entire time. For the laser procedure, they used an 18 gauge needle, again, fluoroscopically guided, and they went into that second IVF, but this time instead of you know inserting that RF probe or doing a lidocaine injection, they put a fiber optic into that needle and extended it five millimeters past the tip of the needle into that second lumbar IVF. And this was an 808 nanometer laser at uh, 100 milliwatts, but again, directly into that second IVF. They were not just shining it on the patient's back. It was actually within the needle and into that second IVF directly. Now, to measure the results for the study, they assessed everyone at pre-op, at five minutes post-op, and then at one month post-op. They didn't have any adverse events or negative reactions beyond a little bit of mild and transient pain uh, during the actual injection process. No real surprise there, you're stabbing somebody with a needle, um, so that can happen. But no significant adverse events. Now they said that all patients in the lidocaine and the laser groups reported at least a 50% reduction in pain immediately, while 10 out of the 11 patients in the RF group reported at least a 50% decrease in pain. So essentially, you know, very, very close results in that immediately post-op group. But on the one month follow-up, the laser treatment group had the greatest number of patients who reported more than 50% pain relief, while only two out of seven patients for the lidocaine group and three out of 11 patients in the radiofrequency group reported more than 50% pain relief. This is at the one month mark. So in this case, the laser treatment group did much better on the medium and long-term relief than the lidocaine or RF groups. And further than that, 70% of the patients treated with the laser returned to work in their daily activities compared to just 30% in the lidocaine and RF treatment groups. So not only pain relief, but a significant functional improvement for those patients that had the laser treatment. Now, how does that work? How, how do we get the same results with a very low power laser that we got with an actual direct injection of lidocaine or of an RF heat lesion, right? How are we getting that same effect? Let's look at what they said about the mechanisms of laser. They said that photobiomodulation is able to modulate the neuronal activity in the nervous system due to changes that happen in the calcium sodium and potassium ion channels and ion current flux which are resulting from injury and inflammation that lead to increased excitability of the peripheral neurons the drg and the spinal cord and that laser irradiation modulates the calcium pump function and expression causing an increase in intracellular calcium that triggers degranulation and endocytic release of atp that's one of the mechanisms there also, that photobiomodulation inhibits alpha and C-fiber transmission, and that the light may also alter the local inflammatory response since photobiomodulation acts by anti-inflammatory effects and increase in the production of endogenous opioids. The additional ability of the light to alter cellular response to pain may explain why laser radiation was more effective than lidocaine injection and RF in the long-term pain reduction. So essentially, with lidocaine, you're just stopping those nerves from working for a little while, and then they gradually get back to where they, they will start working the same again. With an RF ablation type process, which we're not going to full ablation, we're just producing a heat lesion that inhibits the ability of the nerve 
for a while, you know, again, you're just kind of doing a small amount of damage. You're just blocking the ability of that nerve to transmit data. Whereas when you're using laser therapy, you're restoring better function to the nerve and changing the way that the nerves respond to pain signals. Um, so a very different mechanism versus the traditional medical nerve block procedures. Now, before you go partying and throwing lasers at everybody and claiming that you can do nerve blocks, let's dial this back just a minute because this cannot necessarily be easily replicated, okay? These researchers stuck a needle with fluoroscopy into this IVF, had the right level of 808 nanometer laser via an optic probe down through this needle, this is not something you're going to see happening in a lot of offices, even pain management offices, and you're definitely not going to be able to do this as a PT or a chiropractor or a, a you know a non-invasive practitioner. And it is not as simple as just taking a hundred milliwatt, eight hundred eight nanometer laser and sticking it over somebody's DRG and thinking that you're going to get the same effects that these researchers got. It really just is not the same, because. Even the study says the effectiveness of photoneuromodulation depends on the dose used. So let's look at the dosages they used. Again, they were right in that IVF directly. They were not going transcutaneously. They were going straight in to the source, right? Here's the parameters they used. Again, they had an 808 nanometer laser producing 100 milliwatts, right? But because it was using a fiber, the beam spot size was tiny. It was 0.003 centimeters squared, which means with a very low power laser, but a tiny spot size, they had an extremely heavy dose being delivered. It's a small spot. And even though it is, it is a low powered laser, we're talking about 35 watts per centimeter squared of irradiance. That is very, very high. As a matter of fact, even just in the 84 seconds that they had the laser on, they only deposited 8.4 joules, but it was in such a tiny area that the energy density was 2,800 joules per centimeter squared. And again, if you've been with me on the podcast, you've heard me talk about these dosage levels. Many times we're looking at 4 to 10 joules per centimeter squared at the skin surface. These researchers went in to the IVF directly with 2,800 joules per centimeter squared. That is a huge difference from what is typically done in a non-invasive setting with, you know, transcutaneously with this design for laser therapy. Very, very different. And it, it does make me kind of wonder um, if maybe there was a bit of a heat lesion effect that was caused by this very high concentration of even low power light directly on the DRG. Now, they did measure skin temperature before and after, and the skin temperature did not increase with the laser. It did with the, the radiofrequency treatment by 2 degrees Celsius, but it just does make me wonder if maybe, you know, this the strength of the light was so high that there was some level of, you know, heat lesion that was created, at least partially induced, the other thing is maybe having the tissues directly in contact 
uh, with the fiber optic allowed for enough light diffusion through the tissues that we didn't see that heat effect. And, you know, in that case, you're looking at a much larger spot size than the researchers are, are giving us. If it's diffused into the tissues directly, um, it's just really hard to say, right? It's very difficult to measure this stuff uh, in vivo when you've got live patients right there in front of you. Uh, you can't stick a light meter in there too and not alter your treatment effect. So without getting hopefully too nerdy, you can't just take a 100 milliwatt, 808 nanometer laser from anybody that you get it from and stick it on somebody's back where you think the DRG is for you know 80 some seconds and think that you're gonna get this level of response. It is totally different, right? To reach the DRG in the first place, that is gonna be six to eight centimeters deep into the body, okay? And the researchers even say that currently cadaver measurements are being done to determine the irradiance at the target and dose that would be required to transcutaneously deliver the effective irradiance to the lumbar DRG. They're saying right there, you can't do this exact same thing transcutaneously and think you'll get the same results. And that's why cadaver measurements are going to be important to figure out, okay, what type of light, how much light do we need if we're not going to do this with a needle, if we're going to do this just transcutaneously? because just sticking a 100 milliwatt laser on the skin is not gonna give you those same results. Penetration and dosing is a very complex topic. We've explored it multiple times. You can scroll back through the podcast and find several episodes on dosing and wavelength, penetration and scattering, all this. But essentially, some of the data shows that up to 50% of the light is lost at the skin surface. And then every centimeter of tissue there's another 15% loss, at least when it comes to the 800-ish uh, nanometer wavelengths. So, so even if we take the most powerful class 4 laser therapy device on the market today, you're only going to be working with about 4 watts per centimeter squared. And remember, these researchers were getting 35 watts per centimeter squared at the DRG. If you're using a class 4 laser, the very, very top of the line right now produces about 80 watts over a 50 millimeter spot size. That gives you about 4 watts per centimeter squared. If that's where you're starting, then by the time you get through the skin, you're down to 2 watts per centimeter squared. Once you get down to 6 centimeters, you're only getting, I mean, you're less than 0.8 watts per centimeter squared. And that's with the highest power photobiomodulation device you can get today. So you cannot really approach the same, uh, the same level of results looking at the parameters that these researchers used. Still, I think this is really fascinating. I would love to see some more studies like this. Heck, I'd love to see some pain management docs start actually using this as a treatment rather than the lidocaine and RF ablation techniques, which do have some level of side effects. It'd be really neat to see more data. We need to see this out in the field more often because I think we'd see improved patient results. At least in this case, they were showing very good long-term pain relief results. Remember, if you're a non-invasive practitioner, don't go claiming that your laser is the same as getting a nerve block unless you're getting it in there to the DRG, which you just can't do transcutaneously. Can you get laser down to the DRG? Absolutely. What are you going to need to do it though? You're going to need to start with very high power, very high fluence in order to get enough light down deep enough to that DRG to affect it in a positive way. If you have more questions about this, if you want to know how you can do this as a non-invasive practitioner, you want to get 
on board with protocols and settings that actually work. If you need advice on finding a good light therapy device, get a hold of us. You can go to our website, lasertherapyinstitute.org. You can even email us, info at lasertherapyinstitute.org. We'd be happy to chat with you about this in depth. And you know what? If you've got a podcast topic that you'd like me to cover, go ahead and shoot me an email there. I'd be happy to dig into the research and bring that to the front. Thanks very much for joining me this week, and I hope to catch you here next week. Subscribe now to keep learning about the growing field of laser therapy. Check out our patient-focused podcast, Healing at the Speed of Light, a great resource for your patients. For massive practice growth and improved patient outcomes, become a certified Laser Therapy Institute clinic. Learn how at lasertherapyinstitute.org.